Welcome back to the Med School Tutors Podcast, your resource for high-yield tips and proven guidance to help reduce stress and give you tangible tools for success from pre-med through residency and the boards. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Know Thy Shelf series. This evening's shelf, uh, psychiatry, we'll be talking about how to succeed both on your psychiatry clerkship and on your psychiatry shelf exam. Uh, My name is Michael Levin. I am a PGY1 in psychiatry at the University of Chicago. And I've also been with MST for about a year and a half. I work as a tutor for step one, step two, and step three, as well as shelf exams. And I'm also a residency application advisor. We will uh, cover tonight how to succeed clinically. So these are going to be tips for really shining when you're doing the work of the clerkship. Then uh, in addition to shining clinically, we want you to shine when you take your shelf exam. So we'll go over some tips for how to study for your shelf as well as resources to use. Uh, We'll cover a few mistakes that we wanna make sure that you avoid. And we'll also cover a little bit about what the team at Med School Tutors is, what we do, uh, how we have supported other students and how we can support you. Now on to psychiatry. I think that the first thing to understand about psychiatry is that it is a little bit different. The history and physical that we learn for the first two years of med school that applies pretty well on neurology, medicine, pediatrics, is a little bit different in psychiatry. Part of that is that the psychiatrist has to employ a different skill set. So mental illness, certainly very different than medical illness. And as such, the psychiatric interview is a little bit different. We'll get more into the details of the psychiatric interview shortly. The exam for psychiatry, the mental status exam, is very different when a psychiatrist does it than anyone else. Uh, Generally, an internal medicine mental status exam is patient is alert and oriented times three. Uh, While in psychiatry, we break down things like speech, affect, mood, et cetera. Psychiatrists will frequently call collateral. Collateral information is invaluable. We, we, we can't really understate or overstate how important it is to get information, not just from your patient, but also people that know them, especially if you're concerned that they could not be telling you the whole truth or may not remember the whole truth. So collateral is when a patient comes in and they are so intoxicated that they can barely talk to you seeing if they have an emergency contact in their chart, if they've been seen at that hospital before, and calling that emergency contact in order to find out what was going on before they came to the hospital. Or if a patient was suicidal and came to the ER, and then the next day in the psych hospital is saying, I don't want to kill myself, let me go. You call their spouse, and the spouse says, actually, they've been depressed for years. This is the fourth time they've tried to kill themselves this month. Uh, Very important to know that information. Psychiatrists and students on the psychiatry clerkship have to know a a lot about uh, psychopharmacology. Uh, One of my favorite things about psychiatry is all of the drugs that we use and the the amount of nuance that there is to them. Um, Psychiatrists have to be willing to treat difficult and psychotic patients on a regular basis. I remember hearing from some senior residents at another program about a wellness uh, seminar that the second year residents did 
And one of the stations in the wellness seminar was dealing with a difficult patient who's angry at you in clinic. And the psychiatry residents were surprised at how alien it seemed to the non-psychiatry residents, because it's something that on the psychiatry ward you encounter literally every day. The other thing that I think psychiatrists really need to figure out, but I would caution you away from being too worried about as a medical student is therapy. I think actually a trap that some medical students fall into is trying to deliver therapy uh, on the consult liaison service or on the inpatient ward where really you have other more pressing tasks to be focused on and uh, therapy would be better saved for another setting. The treatment strategies that psychiatrists use, uh, first and foremost, include the therapeutic alliance. Uh, what does this mean? It is developing rapport with your patient, treating them with unconditional positive regard, et cetera. I mean, there, there has been so much written about the therapeutic alliance that we could do a series of seminars just on that. The medications, again, that psychiatrists employ can get pretty specialized. A brief intervention. So although we don't want to do out-and-out out therapy in the consult liaison setting or inpatient, there are ways of employing short bits of CBT. Uh, motivational interviewing is another strategy that is worth learning about as a medical student on the psychiatry clerkship. It's particularly useful when helping people change behaviors. So frequently helping someone quit smoking or helping someone with substance use disorder uh, get clean. The other thing that psychiatrists regularly do that not a lot of other specialties do is treat patients against their will. So that's that, these are all things that I think make psychiatry a little bit different, things that are worth learning a little bit more about and things that being familiar with will be very impressive to the psychiatrists that you work with. The other thing to keep in mind is that uh, release of information laws are generally different for mental health practitioners than other medical practitioners. So wherever it is that you're doing your psychiatry clerkship, I would figure out what the rules or regulations are there. It can vary state by state and country by country. Definitely the psychiatrists that you're working with should know what the local laws are. Just I want to put that out there to make sure that you ask the question before doing something that uh, maybe you would have rather not done. Okay, so the psychiatry interview, as promised, a little, little more here about taking a psychiatric history. So the first thing is, like any other history, the chief complaint. For the chief complaint, want to try to record in the patient's own words what they say is going on. So why are they in the hospital now? They're depressed. Okay. When did the depression start? Five years ago. Why are they in the hospital now and not last week or last month? These are things that I would put in the chief complaint and any acute stressors that led to the current presentation. Then the psychiatric review of systems is vitally important for helping the differential. So you'll learn a little bit more about the differential as you go through your clerkship. It's worth at least familiarizing yourself with the different categories of diseases in the DSM-5 and getting a few good psychiatric review of systems questions that you can ask 
to screen, for instance, if someone comes in for depression complaints, you want to make sure that they don't also have a history of mania before you start them on an antidepressant. Similarly, uh, we ask about past psychiatric history. So this includes inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment, medications, and diagnoses. We ask about substance use history. This is something that should be part of every psychiatric history. And if the patient's primary diagnosis is a substance use disorder, it's worth finding out how old were they when they first used? How old were they when their using became a problem? What consequences have they faced? And very importantly, have they ever sought treatment to get off of the substances? If so, what treatment? Was it effective? What was their longest period of sobriety? And if a patient comes in and is acting uh, psychotic or delirious in the emergency room, it's definitely worth finding out when the last time they used was. Um, a lot of patients who seem psychotic are actually just intoxicated. Then the family psych history, a lot of psychiatric diseases have a genetic component that predisposes people to have the disease. So figuring out if anyone in the family had ever been treated by a psychiatrist or a counselor, had ever been hospitalized for a psychiatric issue. Uh, sometimes people won't know the exact medications family members were on or what diagnoses they had, but uh, you might get more results by asking things like, did that person ever go to a psych hospital? And it's also worth asking about family history of suicide attempt or completion and family history of substance use. Other medical history is certainly important. We don't want to understate it. So we uh, mention allergies, medicines, diagnoses, and surgeries, especially when you're on your consult liaison service. That is very central to the patient's needs. They're hospitalized for a medical reason, and the CL team is consulting. So making sure that you keep track of what they're doing in the hospital is, is very important, and, and keeping track of drug interactions, uh, very important as well. Um, and the last thing that makes the psychiatric interview particularly different, the social history, again, is something that psychiatrists really build out in a way that a lot of other medical specialties do not. So this is, includes things like, where were they born? Who did they grow up with? How was their childhood? Did they have siblings? What did they do as a kid for fun? Did they have friends or were they more a loner? What were their hobbies? How far did they go in school? Did they need special education classes? Did they think school was easy? Did they get in trouble in school? And uh, questions about uh, romance figure in here. Have they had romantic relationships? Have they ever been married? Do they have any children? Uh, you can ask here about uh, sexual practices. and. Uh, employment. If someone is actually schizophrenic, it's very unlikely that they held a job as financial broker for 20 years. Uh, if someone is misdiagnosed with schizophrenia, then they might have held a job as a financial banker or broker for 20 years. And we want to find out about military and legal history as well in the social history. The answers that you get to these questions may certainly inform other questions that you want to ask more about. For instance, if you're starting to get a flavor from the rest of your interview that the patient may have some antisocial personality traits going on, uh, it's worth asking a lot more about breaking rules as a child, abusing animals, being arrested, stealing. 
things like this. So those are kind of the skills to be aware of that will help you be an awesome medical student on the psychiatry clerkship. Some other ways that we at MST find that you can be uh, really effective kind of logistically with your team is first and foremost to introduce yourself. Definitely introduce yourself to your residents and your attendings. Uh, try to get at least your residents' phone numbers so that you can text with them and stay in touch. Some attendings may be okay with you having their phone numbers. Some attendings may not. Get as much contact info as you can. Also introduce yourself to everyone else who works in the psych ward. I think that this is something that a lot of medical students and even residents could improve on. The nurses, the social workers, the therapists, the discharge planners, these are all part of your team when you're a student on the psychiatry clerkship. Your success depends in part on their effort and their success depends on your effort. So it's really useful to, from day one, establish rapport, introduce yourself, get, try to learn their name. Aside from that, I think that to make the most out of your clerkship, uh, you really have to be proactive. So the, the most important way to do this is to seek out opportunities to see patients. If you haven't seen a patient all day and the resident said, we've got one admission, but it's not really a great learning case, I would disagree with them. And I would say, you know, that's, that's all right. I would really like to see this patient to learn what I can. It's also, I think, always appropriate to ask for teaching or learning. Um, I think it can be difficult to ask for a resident to give you a dedicated lecture, but for a five or 10 minute chalk talk from a resident or an attending before rounds uh, shouldn't be too much of an issue. And I think it's also important to set aside time to get your questions answered with your residents about your patients, especially. We see a lot of students succeeding by setting a time before rounds to quickly present their patients to the resident and go over the plan uh, so that they are familiar with the plan and, and why that's the plan before presenting to the whole team. I think it is worth spending time on your notes. Uh, these are not just busy work. It turns out that writing notes really helps uh, you to organize your thoughts about a patient and develop your differential skills. Uh, one of the key things that medical students can do to really make your resident's life easier in the world of psychiatry is calling collateral. Sometimes collateral is difficult to get a hold of. Sometimes collateral wants to talk a lot. And sometimes there are four new patients coming in. And so it's a lot easier if the med student makes two sets of phone calls and the resident does the other. I think unique experiences that are worth trying to get if you can are to go to mental health court uh, this is where a mental health magistrate or judge uh, decides after consulting with uh, psychiatrists, the patient, and uh, lawyers, whether or not the patient will be involuntarily committed or also possibly involuntarily medicated. I went to several when I was a medical student. I thought it was really informative, and it helped me decide that I wanted to go to a state uh, that had involuntary commitment so that that could be something I would learn more about. Uh, and then the other thing that I think is really worth seeing whether you're going to be a psychiatrist or not is electroconvulsive therapy. Expressing interest in ECT is a good way to show your proactiveness. It's also 
amazingly effective as a treatment and it's amazingly misunderstood. Popular society, largely due to movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, thinks of ECT as this kind of barbaric thing. It's really pretty mild. It is amazingly effective for the patient it, it works with. And if you can take care of a patient who is going to receive ECT, it can be amazing to see how much better they get and how quickly. Um, the other thing that I think to keep in mind, certainly on your psychiatry clerkship, but also on, on all of your clerkships, is to have fun with it. You know, uh, get to know your residents, especially on downtime. Keep in mind, psychiatrists love to talk and to listen. One of the reasons that we, we chose the field. And uh, psychiatrists and residents in every field spend so much time at work that Connecting with people that they work with, medical students, uh, having fun there makes a really big difference. So again, introduce yourself to the team and check in regularly, at least daily, about discharge plans. So I think that this, this is something that makes a really big difference for a lot of patients. We've seen lots of patients get their discharges held up because of lack of communication and coordination. If the medical team is planning on discharging, but the discharge planner hasn't arranged a follow-up appointment for them, the discharge can be thrown off by several hours or a few days. It's important to always know the disposition from the psychiatric hospital. Where will they be staying and who will they be following up with for psychiatric care? If you can ask the team to do multiple multidisciplinary rounds, that would be awesome. Everywhere that's employed MDR um, in psychiatry really benefits from it. And it's worth you figuring out exactly who does what on the team. Different teams have different members. Sometimes the therapist acts as the discharge planner. Sometimes there's a dedicated discharge planner. Sometimes the social workers on the unit do therapy and discharge planning and finding um, follow-up appointments and making arrangements for uh, disposition otherwise. So it's, it's definitely worth familiarizing yourself with who all needs to be coordinating in order to get the patients out of the hospital. And on the CL service, it's, a, it's also important if the patient is going to need psychiatric care after leaving the hospital to know who their social worker is. Is it the primary team social worker who does the dispo planning or is it somebody else? Uh, different hospitals have different setups. So now I want to walk you through a few typical days in different psychiatric services. So uh, this is a day in the life in the psychiatric hospital. Most psychiatrists round around 9 a.m. Most attending psychiatrists want rounds to start around 9 a.m. I had an attending when I was in medical school who rounded at 6.30 a.m. I believe he was the exception and not the rule. He was convinced that if you wake your psychotic patients up, they will, won't be expecting you and will be more honest with you about their symptoms. All of that is to say, figure out when your attending wants to round and figure out how long you need in order to prepare, if you need to prepare at all. Sometimes for some patients, uh, preparation might not be ideal or it might be inappropriate. If a patient is psychotic and violent, it might be good to have the team see that patient once all together during the day and then leave them alone. 
then generally the morning is spent in the psychiatric hospital completing rounds on the patients with your team. I think that important thing here to consider is that the art of psychiatry is in the interview. So it's in the, the body language, in the phrasing, in the tone of voice, in the way questions are structured and the order that they're asked. So I would watch residents and attendings do interviews as much as you can and ask them to watch you and give you feedback. I think it's also a very sharp learning curve to be able to describe a mental status exam accurately. So with every patient that you see afterward, uh, we think it's a good idea to review with your resident, hey, did you think that that guy's affect was normal in quantity or decreased in quantity? Would you describe that as flattened or blunted? Would you describe that speech as pressured? Uh, those sorts of things. A lot of programs will have some type of didactic session from 12 to 1. Again, um, very important to find out what the didactic offerings are for medical students or residents where you're rotating. If you don't have medical student-specific didactics, but there is something for the residents, I would 100% recommend going. Um, and then in the afternoon, generally, uh, in an inpatient psych hospital, you finish your notes for the patients you saw that day, finish any admissions that you need to do. You do the administrative stuff like calling collateral, entering orders, and then go home. Nice thing about the psychiatry clerkship, something that a lot of medical students appreciate, especially those not going into psychiatry, is that it's frequently possible to leave relatively early in the afternoon. If you are efficient, you may be getting out at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. or 4 p.m., but we'll say more about that in a few slides. On consult liaison, things are a little bit different. Pre-rounding, similar. You round with the team, again, similar goals. And then in the afternoon, frequently time is uh, dedicated for doing any new consults that you've been called about during the day. You also have to follow up with the primary team for the patient that you were consulted about to let them know what the team's recommendations were. And depending on how the team is structured, you may head home early or you may stay until the night coverage takes over. Pearls for the consult liaison psychiatry clerkship, bedside therapy is, again, something that a lot of patients want, and there are ways that you can deliver it effectively in five or 10 minutes, but a common trap that we see a lot of students fall into is spending way too much time at the bedside. I think that something some hospitals have now is medical psychologists who can be called either by the primary team directly or by the consult psychiatry team in order to provide that service. And the SSRI of choice on most CL services is sertraline. Uh, worth knowing it's very effective, very safe with few drug interactions and can be used in patients with lots of medical disease. And the most common diagnosis uh, on the CL service is delirium. Frequently teams call for depression because a patient isn't moving a lot, isn't talking a lot, and you go there and you ask them, uh, you know, their alert and orientation questions, and you ask them to say the days of the week backward, and they think it's 1970, and they're in another state, and they're at a school, and they can do two of the days of the week backward. Um, you've got a patient who's delirious.
a day in the life in the clinic. So a lot of psychiatry is practiced in the outpatient clinic, but it's difficult to really capture that experience for a medical student on a clerkship. So what a lot of programs do, a lot of clerkships will assign students for a half a day a week or a few days over the course of the clerkship to work with a resident or with an attending in a clinic. So figure out what your outpatient experience will be. And the night before you're going in, make sure that you can see the schedule for your next day. Who are the patients that you're going to be seeing? What are their chief complaints? What is their past psychiatric history? How long have they been with this psychiatrist? Have they been with other psychiatrists before? If this is the first appointment with the psychiatrist, what was going on before they came in? If they've seen other psychiatrists before, what meds have they been on? Did they work? Did they not work? Did they have side effects? And I think it's also really important to clarify expectations with your resident or attending, particularly in clinic. Uh, also a good idea to do in the psychiatric hospital and on the CL service to determine if you will first interview the patient and then present the patient to the resident who will interview. And then the two of you will present the patient to the attending, which obviously takes more time. Um, or if you will all go in together and interview as a group with each person asking questions, or if the expectation is that the trainees do not ask questions and observe the attending conduct the interview. Again, different psychiatrists, different practices. Most important thing is just to clarify the expectations uh, before you go in so that you know um, and you're on the same page as everybody else. The day in the life of a virt virtual clerkship is something that we have to consider now that we have a global viral pandemic. It is highly institution specific. I know of other psychiatry programs in the city of Chicago that are still doing almost everything in person. My experience at the University of Chicago is that we do almost everything on Zoom um, or on FaceTime. It works really well if you want to get direct supervision, observe an interview, or have an interview be observed. Uh, you can just join a call that an attending is having with a patient, or you can ask an attending to join a call that you're having. Psychiatry is a specialty that really isn't that limited by being remote. So I, I think that in terms of clerkship experiences, um, this could be one that is still uh, relatively normal in terms of your ability to attain educational goals during it. That being said, during the pandemic, as well as not during the pandemic, it's very important to do a lot of self-led learning. There is more to learn than your team will have time to teach you. And so uh, doing a little bit of reading every night about your patients and a little bit of studying, which we'll talk more about here shortly, will serve you very well. I wanted to make sure that I included a few pearls that will either score you major brownie points with your residents and attendings or get you some low-hanging fruit points on your shelf exam. So it's very important to familiarize yourself with differential diagnoses especially when they're similar and only differ a little bit. So schizoaffective disorder versus an affective disorder with psychotic features. So that would be bipolar with psychotic features or depression with psychotic features. What you need to figure out is which set of symptoms is present in the absence of the other one. The patient always hears voices, 
but only sometimes stays up several days in a row cleaning their house, feeling like they don't need to sleep. That would be schizoaffective. The patient is always kind of blue, but four times a year, they get so depressed that they start seeing things and hearing voices. That would be major depression with psychotic features. Um, it's also very important to know the chronological criteria. Sometimes questions will trick you up on the difference between brief psychotic disorder versus schizophreniform versus schizophrenia. Um, don't leave points on the table. Learn those uh, chronological criteria, get those points. It's also worth learning about the art of psychiatric medication selection. To do this, uh, there have been a few landmark trials, definitely one to read. And if you can talk about it, you'll score major brownie points is the Katie trial. This basically showed that all antipsychotics are generally as effective as the rest. Um, so what we do is we pick antipsychotics in general for their side effect profile. Um, so it's, it's worth learning the side effects of all of the antipsychotics. It's high yield for actual clinical care. Uh, it will be impressive to the psychiatrist you're working with and high yield for um, your shelf exam. Whenever you have someone who you suspect has bipolar depression, do not give them antidepressants. Uh, there is no evidence to support the use of antidepressants in patients with bipolar depression, period. Um, again, something that will get you points on your shelf and hopefully impress your attendings and residents if they are up on their literature. Um, on your shelf exam, if they give you a choice, pick therapy plus medication. Every study that's done shows that therapy plus medication is more effective than either alone. Uh, what type of therapy you may ask? CBT is almost always the answer for anxiety, for PTSD, uh, for specific phobias, CBT works as does exposure therapy. And for borderline personality disorder, the answer is DBT. Uh, CBT stands for cognitive behavior therapy and DBT stands for dialectical behavior therapy. The three most effective interventions in the psychiatrist's toolkit that we think are really worth familiarizing yourself with and knowing well are lithium, clozapine, and ECT. These are the three psychiatric interventions empirically demonstrated to decrease uh, rate of suicide attempt and completion. Um, lithium is the best mood stabilizer we have, especially for reducing the frequency of manic episodes or bringing someone out of a manic episode. Clozapine works really well at managing psychosis that doesn't respond to uh, other antipsychotics. And ECT works really well for depression, mania, and psychosis that aren't responding to medications. Really severe suicidality and um, neuroleptic malignant syndrome, catatonia, and it is safe in pregnant women. Those are kind of your, your high yield points for ECT. The other pearl that I think is worth mentioning is that, um, yes, psychiatrists tend to be nice. I may be a little biased about that, but I, I think most would agree with me. Um, and yes, as a student on your psychiatry clerkship, your workload may be lighter. I would not take the foot or take the foot that you're given and try to turn it into a yard. I would still take your psychiatry clerkship very seriously, leave when the team dismisses you, um, show up on time, 
write your notes, do things for your patients. Uh, residents and attendings notice when students are slacking off, do not appreciate it, and use that when deciding who gets honors, who gets A's. Okay, so now on to a little more conversation about studying on the clerkship. So unlike when you were preparing for step one, where you had some dedicated time, your free time will probably be relatively limited. Again, not as limited as on some other clerkships, but less free time than you might've been used to as a preclinical student. For shelf and step two, there are a lot of different resources to choose from. Almost too many. I think it, I think it can be really overwhelming. The key thing to think of is to prioritize learning resources that help you actively engage. So these are things like QBanks and flashcards. Rather than passive learning, where you could break focus and zoom out and miss 20 minutes of a lecture video that you're watching or have to reread the same page in a textbook 20 times, it's also definitely worth studying a little bit every day. Um, cramming is extremely unlikely to work. And if you think cramming may work for your psychiatry shelf, you may be right. But if you study a little bit every day, you'll be in a better position for step two. What are study strategies that work for step one that do not work for step two is a question that we uh, frequently get. Again, I think um, using a lot of dedicated time for step one is the, one of the key features of the strategy that a lot of students take for preparing for that. So for step two, you have less dedicated time. It's more important to do your work longitudinally across your third year and start working on UWorld right away. Try to get through it once during your third year and a second time during a dedicated period. In order to do this studying effectively, it's very important to find time where you can study. So if your didactic gets out at 12.30 instead of 1, and your team said that they were going to do a family meeting at 1.30, you could find a quiet space in the hospital to use that hour to study. Always bring study materials with you so that you can turn any unexpected free time into productive free time. Uh, if possible, it's always beneficial to link what you're studying to didactics or cases or patients that you've recently seen. So my favorite thing to do is uh, if I see a patient with a complaint or a presentation, I will look that up in one of my uh, references that night. And that way, as I'm trying to remember it, I'm not just remembering the diagnosis, I'm remembering the patient, the person, and the details about the diagnosis that I learned. I think it's really important to maximize your accountability with people who can support you. So this can be anyone on your team. This can be other medical students. This can be administrators or professors at your home institution. It's also very important to take full advantage of any institution-specific resources that your school makes available to you. So some schools cover the cost of the, the UWorld Step 2 subscription. And some schools do not. Some schools don't have an up-to-date subscription or a Medscape subscription. Some schools may have one but not the other. Um, it's worth figuring out what tools are available to you and making full use of them. And know that too many resources are more problematic than using too few. Something that we see often at MST is people get really excited about studying and buy or obtain by other means all of the resources that they can find 
But if you only use, if you take five really great books and you use each of them 50%, the bit that you're missing from each book might be the same bit. And then there's a significant portion of content that you haven't studied at all. So it's a much better idea to get fewer resources and to completely exhaust them. So uh, psychiatry-specific resources that our experience with students seems to suggest these are the, the best ones to, to use when you're a student on the psychiatry clerkship. Definitely UWorld it is the best thing that we've got for step one. It is the best thing that we've got for step two and step three as well. And it is a really good thing to use for all of your clerkships, psychiatry included. Unfortunately, in my opinion, there aren't a lot of psychiatry questions in UWorld. So it's necessary to supplement the questions that are there with other question sources. So there are NBMEs available for purchase on the USMLE website uh, for psychiatry. I would recommend doing all of them and taking time to review all of them. Know that the um, company that sells the NBMEs does not make answer keys, or they make the answer key available, but not explanations. You can find explanations on forums, but we also know by spending a lot of time on these forums ourselves, that sometimes the explanations on the forums are incorrect. So you might have to be a little bit wary and do a little bit of your own research as well. Um, the First Aid for the Psychiatry Clerkship is actually a really good book. It does a lot of the things that we talked about, differentiating similar diagnoses, giving you the basics of psychopharmacology. It's a really good uh, basic resource. And then, um, Lang, Lange, I have no idea how to say that. Q&A has more than a thousand psychiatry specific questions. If you can work through that during your psychiatry clerkship, you should be in a really good position to, to crush your shelf. Supplemental resources, things that I particularly enjoy and enjoyed as a medical student. Uh, so clinical psychopharmacology made ridiculously simple is a tiny book, less than 200 pages. You could pretty easily read it in a day or a weekend. Um, and it is very easy to use as a reference. So if you saw a patient who you think is manic, you can flip to the manic section of the book and they give you an algorithm for picking a drug for that patient. And then the psychiatric interview by Daniel Harlot. I specified the author because there are a lot of books called The Psychiatric Interview, believe it or not. This, this book is kind of a quick and dirty, these are the questions to ask to determine if someone's anxious. Uh, here's how you memorize the DSM criteria, that sort of thing. Again, very quick read. You can probably do it in an afternoon. For psychiatry specifically, the first place to start is with understanding the general categories and the main players in each category of psychiatric disease. So each of these categories has a chapter in the DSM. I haven't included all of the chapters, but these are the ones that you will see a lot. So depression, know the hallmarks of depressive disorders, know the criteria for MDD, major depression, versus PDD, persistent depressive disorder. For bipolar, know what a manic episode is. Know what a hypomanic episode is. How are they different? What are the symptoms of PTSD? Lots of people think they have PTSD because they were in a car accident, but if they're not experiencing flashbacks and nightmares, if they're not more jumpy, if they're not avoiding the road where the, the car crash happened or not getting in cars at all, 
they might not actually have PTSD. Uh, similarly for psychosis, a lot of people think about hallucinations, but completely forget about the symptoms of disorganization or the negative symptoms like flat affect, uh, decreased speech, decreased motivation. A favorite subject for the psychiatry shelf is the personality disorders. There are a number of mnemonics to help you remember which personality disorders fall into which cluster and the general symptoms that go along with each personality disorder. I think a lot of people get tripped up on confusing avoidant with schizoid. So the avoidant patient doesn't have social connections, but they wish they did. The schizoid patient doesn't care that they don't have social connections. And the other one that people sometimes mix up is schizoid versus schizotypal. I think the, uh, the way that I remember it is the suffix oid means false. So the schizoid is a little schiz, a little schizophrenia um, in that they keep to themselves, they have some of those negative symptoms. But when we think about the typical schiz, the schizotypical, they have the magical thinking, generally not full-blown hallucinations, but it's possible. And then familiarizing yourself with diagnostic criteria of somatoform disorder can be uh, very useful, especially on console liaison. In order to make the most of your learning at every moment during your psychiatry clerkship, uh, we recommend that all students download the UWorld app and use it. You can drill, drill, and drill in any downtime that you get. Even if you just have five minutes on the bus ride to the hospital, you can do a couple questions. Again, our recommendation is that you complete the QBAC once during your third year and ideally a second time during your dedicated period. Uh, another thing that a lot of our students really enjoy is the case files series. The format of these books works really well for some subjects and some, some learners. Um, each book has several chapters and the chapter gives you a patient presentation and ask you things about a diagnosis and then teaches you all about that diagnosis or that presentation, um, how to diagnose it, how to treat it, some of the pathophysiology. It's a, it's a good way to get a decent um, overview of a disease. Other resources that uh, we've seen a lot of students succeed with is the pretest series. They are really impressive with the number of questions that they have in their, in their database. Some of the questions are very nuanced, and so I would only go to those once you've exhausted some of the other high-yield resources we talked about. We discussed the NBMEs, and we're recently starting to get some good results with people who are using AMBOSS. It is relatively new, so we're still gathering some information about it but everything that the team at MST is seeing with the students that we work with is pretty positive. So if, if you go beyond the psychiatry-specific resources and you want to reach out to some other stuff, I would tend to prioritize UWorld and case files, um, and then you can dip into some of these others as well. Other resources for psychiatry, if you want to be a psychiatrist, if you uh, just want to learn some stuff, I really like these two podcasts. Uh, psychiatry and Psychotherapy is done by an attending at Loma Linda. I listen to it when I drive in my car and have learned a ton. And the Carlat Report, actually, that is the same Carlat as the book that we talked about before. He has a journal um, with his name on it and a podcast that goes along with that journal. 
his episodes are relatively shorter if you don't have a full hour for the general psychiatry and psychotherapy podcast episode nine. The Bible of Psychiatry Residency it is Kaplan and Static, uh, probably a depth beyond what is required for a medical student. But if you really want to learn everything or more um, about something, you can go there. And Stahl's Psychopharmacology and Stahl's Prescriber's Guide are kind of the go-tos for how drugs work. And uh, psychopharmacology really digs into the basic science of the drugs. And the prescriber's guide tells you doses, what dose to start at, what tests you need to get, common side effects, how to switch from one antipsychotic to another, all of the things that if you're using these medications, you should know. Um, if stall psychopharmacology is a little too dense for your liking, uh, we know that a lot of students have done really well with clinical, clinical psychopharmacology by Marin and Escobar. So we've kind of gone over some of the things that you can do in order to succeed as a medical student on your clerkship. You know, number one, it's important to put in the work. You've, you've made it to medical school. You've made it to third year. You are awesome. It can be really discouraging sometimes when you're exhausted and maybe you have a, a negative interaction with a resident or someone else on the team. I think it's really important to maintain that perspective that this is something that we've all worked really hard to get to where we are. And it is a privilege to be able to take care of these patients. You will not be a third year medical student forever is the other piece. I tell myself regularly, I will not be a resident forever. And I thank goodness that that's true. And, you know, be confident on your shelf exam. And if, a, if an attending or a resident asks you a question, Take a guess. You can say, I'm not sure, but I think sertraline would be the best medication here. Here's why. And I would like to know your thinking on that so that you can show them that you've thought about it, but you're also open to the fact that you don't know everything about it and you'd like to hear and learn more. Very important to be confident in those regards. Also know that there are resources available to you, like the team at MST, to support you if uh, you need. Um, a little more support. So just to go over what that support looks like, we do all of our tutoring again um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Uh, your tutor will make a custom study schedule for you specifically to assess your goals, um, improve on your weaknesses, and track your progress and uh, have a definitive, it'll, it will be defined by a timeline based on when your shelf exam is or when your step exam is. The tutoring sessions will be highly adaptive with regular check-ins, uh, your tutor adopting the content, adapting the content of the session to match what you need, uh, reviewing your performance and, and keeping track of how you're doing. Your tutor will be available to you by email for as much communication as is necessary. And in general, your tutors provide overall guidance, accountability, planning, and mentorship for medical student residency and beyond. We at MSC also do provide strategic planning sessions and uh, tutoring for step two CK, step three, and preparation for the residency applications for ERAS. I want to thank all of you for coming to the webinar this evening. I hope it was useful. If you have any other questions, please reach out and we will do our best to support you. Thank you so much. I hope you all have a great night and happy studying. 
We hope this was helpful and that it took some of the guesswork out of the equation for you. If you have any questions or would like one-on-one tutoring, get in touch with us via our website, medschooltutors.com, via email at hq at medschooltutors.com, or give us a call, if you're old school like that, at 212-327-0098. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, and review us on your podcast app. And if you want more helpful, free information, visit our blog, check us out on social media at MedSchoolTutors, or visit our forum at usmletutors.com. Thanks for listening. Be well.